Well, hey everyone, I'm Taylor Bacon, uh, and I am excited and honored to be able to teach here at Mid City Church. Uh, and Pastor Fernie asked me if I would do this, and of course I said yes. I love teaching, I love preaching, and all of those things. Um, but I also love a little bit of direction in it. But when I asked him, you know, what should I teach on? Do you have something in mind? Are you in a sermon series? Uh, he said, no, free week, open week. Uh, and sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's, man, I can teach on whatever I want. Or it's like, oh my gosh, the Bible's a huge book. I have no idea what to teach on. Uh, and so I started thinking about it, and I, and I, and I want to talk about something that's really important to me, uh, something that I think is a core function in following Jesus, something that I don't think we can follow Jesus without, and that's community. Uh, it's something that I find myself analyzing all the time, uh, over and over again, making sure that my community is, in fact, pushing me closer and closer to Jesus. Um, but I also think it's something that Jesus did really well, and that we as people of the church can do very poorly. And, and I'm not, I don't want to say that, that you're bad at it, that you're, that you're terrible at community, and that I'm going to fix all your problems. What I want to say is, is I think that people inside of the church can put their community on autopilot. Um, it's very easy to do that, and I think when we talk about it today, we'll, we'll see that. Um, but I, I hope that by the end of this, you, you learn to be more intentional and more purposeful with your community. Uh, and so we're going to talk about community in light of three different groups, uh, because there were three different groups that Jesus found himself in. We'll look uh, in the Gospel of Luke, chapters 9 and 10, for two of those instances, and then we'll move to the Gospel of Matthew uh, for the final group that Jesus would find himself in. Uh, and I'm going to talk in a sense of numbers, but I don't want you to get caught up on the numbers. The numbers are just to give you a good idea of the size of, of, of those groups. Um, but they're pretty general numbers. Uh, and, and then when we're reading the scriptures, uh, I'm not necessarily taking anything out of context to make a point. I don't want us to think that. Um, but I also want you to focus on a couple of things when we're reading the scripture that we're reading today. I want you to focus on what Jesus is doing. Where, where is he? Why is he there? What is he doing? And who did he take with him? Or who did he send out from that place? Uh, because that's how we're going to look at how Jesus did community so that we can see how we can better do community. So we're going to start our first group. We're going to start with the 72. Jesus had what I like to refer to as a general community. And you've got a general community as well. You see, your general community uh, are people that you run into on a weekly basis, but you kind of just run into them on accident. You run into them because you go to this place often. So for example, you go to work uh, maybe five days a week. So you're going to run into the same people at work. Uh, and you may work with a hundred different people. You may work in a huge office building, uh, whatever it is, and you just kind of run into the same people on a weekly basis. Maybe you go to a gym and you see some of the same people, but you, you don't necessarily know their names or you don't necessarily know their stories, right? I've, I've started playing a lot of disc golf recently, so I'm at Highland Road Community Park a lot, um, a few times a week. And it's becoming a popular sport, but you, you start to see a lot of the same people. And I don't know their names. I don't know their stories. I just know that's the guy that plays disc golf on Tuesdays, right? Um, and so that's your general community. And in Jesus, where we see kind of an example of his general community is in Luke chapter 10. Uh, and it's, I'm just going to read verses 1 and 2. 
So it says this, After this the Lord appointed seventy-two others, and sent them two by two ahead of him in every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So like I said, I don't want you to necessarily focus on the word-for-word scripture. I want you to focus on what Jesus was doing and who he was doing it with. So here it's actually super vague. And I think it's okay for your general community to be vague. Like I said, it's, it's going to be that way. It's, it's, it's general. Um, but Jesus had those 72 people. We don't know any of their names. We don't know any of their stories. But we know there were 72, around 72 of them, uh, and Jesus sent them out ahead of him, right? That was kind of their purpose. And, and we're going to leave that there because it's going to circle back. Um, but we're going to move on to our next group. Uh, and your next group comes out of the 72, right? All of these groups feed into each other, and then their purposes come out of each other, right? So from your 72, we go down to your 12. And that shrunk really fast. I mean, you just dropped like 60 people, right, uh, from your group. I hope I did that math right. But you dropped like 60 people, now you've got 12 people, and that is 100% on purpose, right? If you've been around the church at all, you know Jesus had 12 people. And, and, and I don't necessarily have a point in Scripture where I want to point out the 12 because they're all over it. We know, we know every single one of their names. We know a little bit about each one of them. We know more about others, right? He had his 12 that he lived life with. He had his 12 that he literally walked from town to town with. He ate meals with these people. I mean, these were some of his closest friends. And this is somewhat uh, of a general number. I'm not saying that you have to have 12 people in this group, uh, in this community for yourself. Um, but but it's, it's, it's an approximation, right? It, it, some of us have 10, some 15, right? It's, it's in that area. Uh, and this group, depending on who you are and, and where you find yourself, can take form in a few different ways, right? Um, in the church setting, I think we like to call these small groups. Uh, we like to say that, you know, we have a consistent group of people that you're connected with, that you meet with on a weekly basis. But the difference between this group and your 72 is that you meet with your 12 on purpose, right? These are the people you put yourself around on purpose for a reason um, to kind of advance some sort of cause, right? Uh, if, if you haven't been around the church for a while, your, your 12 could, again, just be the people you put yourself around because you like them, because you want to see them. You enjoy spending time with them, right? Um, I think all of you can kind of generally think of who your 12 are. And then the last group that I want to talk about, um, my absolute favorite group, and I think it's because it has some of my absolute favorite people inside of it are your three. Um, I think this group uh, does a lot for you, um, but I think sometimes we tend to neglect our three because it is the group that we find ourselves having to be the most vulnerable with, uh, the most open with, in order for it to fulfill its purpose. And so instead of trying to explain to you what your three would look like, I want to tell you about someone who's in my three. Um, yeah, so I want to tell you about someone who's in my three. So back in January, I was standing in a wedding. Uh, it had about 10 groomsmen in it. I knew most of the groomsmen because it was for a really close friend of mine from college. Uh, and I love weddings. They're so much fun. You get to see a ton of people that you know uh, and that you remember friends from past, things like that. But as someone who works for a church, weddings can be super difficult 
because your average wedding is on a Saturday late afternoon, early evening, and depending on where the wedding is, it might be difficult for me to get back to work on Sunday morning. And so the distance from Baton Rouge that a wedding is determines whether or not I'm gonna go to it. So if it's two, three hours away, that's a pretty easy drive, right? I can leave by 10, I'm home by midnight, I don't need a ton of sleep, and so I can get to work on time that morning. But this wedding, was seven hours away. And so I had to think about it. But not for long because this was one of my closest friends and I had to be there for his wedding. And so I talked to another groomsman that was in that wedding, his name's Brandon. And I said, Brandon, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have to drive up there. I'm gonna have to be there all day. And then I don't know when it's gonna end. I don't wanna shortchange his wedding. And so I'm gonna be getting back who knows when. And I'm going to be exhausted for it the next day. I was just complaining and complaining and complaining to Brandon, who's, who's in my three, who's a really close friend of mine. And Brandon responded, and he said, hey, don't worry, we'll get you there. And I was like, that's it? You'll, you'll get me there? And he was like, yeah, don't worry about it, just have fun. And I was like, okay. And so we did all the wedding things, all the pre-wedding things. We, the, the, the cake was cut, all of that. The couple gets sent off. Uh, it's 10 p.m., and Brandon walks up to me and he says, you ready? I was like, ready? Like it's 10 p.m. Are we still doing this? And he's like, yeah, I told you we'd get you there. So we're going to get you back to Baton Rouge. And so he says, just, just sleep in the passenger seat. I've got this. I'll drive, right? Um, and it was like one of those movie scenes where I kept waking up and Brandon was just driving and he'd stop every now and get an energy drink or a coffee or something. It just kept going. We pulled into my house at 5 a.m., two hours before I had to be at work. And then I think Brandon went off to New Orleans still and did something else, right? But the point of that is that Brandon was able to show me, as someone in my three, a sacrificial love that not many people would have been willing to do. Not many people would have been willing to drive overnight just to get me back so that I could be at work in the morning. But Brandon saw that it was important to me, so it became just as important to him. Those are the kind of people that you want in your three. Jesus had these kind of people, uh, and this is one of my favorite stories that show who the three were to Jesus, um, but not only who they were, but what kind of moments Jesus brought them into. And so this comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, uh, and it's when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And there is so much here, but I'm gonna read verses 36 through 39, and then kind of explain why this passage is so significant in Jesus' community. It says this, Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Like I said, there's a ton to unpack here, but I want to focus on who Jesus took with him and where he took them. Jesus, as it says, took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who we know as James and John. So he took the three from his twelve, uh, and he didn't just take them anywhere. He took them into a moment where he said that his soul was very sorrowful, even to death. 
one of the lowest moments in Jesus' life because not long after this, I mean, the next paragraph is titled, The Betrayal and Arrest of Jesus. Right after Jesus prayed this prayer with these three present, he was arrested and set toward the cross. Jesus brought these three into one of the lowest moments of his life. And I think that shows one of the purposes of your three. Who are the three people that when you have the best news of your life, you're calling them first and you're sharing it with them. You're sharing the highest moments of your life with these three people. But also, who are the three people that you're calling when your soul is sorrowful? Who are you sharing that with? Who are you praying with? I think John Wesley would have called one of these groups a band group, right? A group of three to five people that you share life with, that you get together and you pray with, that you confess sin with, and that you push each other closer and closer to becoming better disciples of Jesus. So who are your three? Because my challenge to you, and this will kind of reveal the purpose of each of these groups, my challenge to you this week and, and, and many weeks beyond that, because this is not a, a one-day, one-week project. This is a rest-of-your-life project to be constantly evaluating your community. I want you to find your three. I want you to press into your 12, and I want you to change the world through your 72. Now, I know those are lofty goals, but if you don't have your three, then none of these other groups work. If you can find those three people who push you closer and closer to Jesus and, and, and who make what's important to you important to them and who pray with you and who love you and who, who are there for you in the highs and the lows of your life, if you can find those three people, that joy and that love of Jesus and that spirit that's shared in that group, it goes into your 12. It overflows from you into that 12. But it only works in your 12 if you make time for your 12. And when I started this, I said that we tend to go on autopilot. And I think the 12 is where we go on autopilot. I think a lot of times we go to church and we say, oh, like I'm in church. That's good. I did it for the week, but I really can't do anything outside of Sunday morning. I really, I'm, I'm a busy, busy person, but I went to church. I'm good. And you don't make any time outside of that, or you make very passive time for your 12. Uh, so if you don't have a 12, there are so many opportunities here at Mid-City Church to find your 12. Like I said, we call them small groups, right? Um, Mid-City Church has small groups for everyone, and it is literally exactly what I'm talking about here. The 12 that you need could be found here. But once they're found, you have to make significant time and effort for that 12 to change you and to actually do its job, right? And that, that comes from pressing in to that 12. So once you've found your three and you've pressed into your 12, you can change the world through your 72. Just like Jesus, after he, he sent his 12 out, he sent his 72 out, right? And he, he, gave them, he gave them very simple instructions. He said, go to the towns, prepare the way for me, share my message so that people know I am coming. Hopefully, if you've done these first two groups well, then you will be inspired and encouraged by those people 
to share the love and good news of Jesus Christ with your 72, with your general community. And once you can, I guess what I like to say, gospelize your 72, once you can share the gospel with your 72, I think they go out and share it with the rest of the world. That's my challenge to you. Find your three, press into your 12, change the world through your 72. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.